everyone, and welcome to the Path 11 podcast with your hosts, Mike and April. On today's show, we would like to introduce you to Hillary Ramo. Hillary is the founder of Love Breathe for Earth Global Meditations, is a psychic medium, ordained non-denominational minister, master Reiki healer, a shamanic practitioner, and earth oracle. She is an artist, writer, free thinker, adventurer, and advocate for the goddess. Hillary Ramo is an expert on multidimensional healing. She specializes in communicating about how the mind-body healing process frees consciousness on a personal-to-global level in order to help enable body energy and collective consciousness to transcend time and space. Hillary has spent the last year creating a living biodynamic experiential love experiment in which she has sought to help heal humanity's relationship with Earth. By bringing awareness to one's own body and personal memories of love, she has inspired others to spend time practicing the feeling of evoking these beautiful memories within them, as she shares her insights into why doing so is important for all of us. Hillary is a gifted healer who assists others in walking through their own stuff so they may be free of it. Incorporating a healed, hold perspective on self-acceptance, she aids others in finding their deepest inner space within them and helps them in whatever way she can to navigate that transformational journey. We'd like to welcome Hilary Ramo to our show today. All right, Hilary, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me here. It's great to be connected to both of you. Again. <laughs> yeah, we last saw you in the the Path Afterlife, our first documentary, which, gosh, that came out in 2009. But you've been pretty busy lately. Um, do you want to talk about your latest project? Sure. Um, I have a lot going on right now, but it's exciting because a lot of it is new. My work overall in general has moved into a rather new arena in some senses. About a year ago on May 18th, we began a platform called Love Breathe for Earth. And the intention behind the platform was to raise a group of people, consciousness, uh, you know, kind of raise the consciousness, gather people together around the globe to do a meditation. And the story behind how it all started is quite fascinating. And I'm writing a new book, and I will be putting the story of the beginning and the journey that we have embarked on this past year so that, you know, everybody can get the full story because the story itself is really beautiful and it holds a tremendous amount of healing power. And the people that we have shared parts of the story with have had a very positive, wonderful response. What happened last year in 2014 was a journey of personal healing as well as moving the focus of healing itself into more of a collective paradigm or collective perspective, meaning that if we take an event that's happening in, out in the world, so let's say a current event or um, uh, something that gets a lot of attention that people really tune into. Um, and we take it and we look at it as an example of something that we can see as a smaller paradigm, personal, microscopic, whatever you want to call it. So we started to put together a series of moments where we would gather and we would love breathe for earth. And what that is, is love being whatever our personal relationship is with love, whatever our memories, our personal memories of love, whatever invokes that emotion in your body is what you focus on in the meditation. And you do it someplace out in nature because you're dedicating the offering, this beautiful offering of love that you conjure in your body to the planet, to the earth. So it's a personal movement, meaning that, you know, you're doing the work on your own. There's no protocol. There's nothing you have to learn or study. And it's cross-cultural and you can be any religion. You can, it doesn't, it doesn't have any of the, you know, most common kind of boundaries and parameters and protocol that a lot of meditation has. Um, you have to go study with a teacher. No, none of that. You just have to be able to get into your body someplace outside where you're connecting to the natural world and you invoke, you just spend time thinking about the things that 
cause love to rise up into your cells, into your heart, into your brain, you know, your entire biological system gets turned on literally by the chemistry that's created from these memories that you have from your own lifetime. And you create a chemical response that emanates out into the environment around you in an interactive mode where nature itself begins to respond. There has been a lot of studies done about how plants respond to human emotion or, you know, human energy. And the, the breakthrough in that is proving that we have an effect, that there's a reciprocal relationship between ourselves and the natural world. It's not just about going out and admiring the beauty or spending time in fresh air. It's literally being mindful of your emotional energy that you're putting out so that the plants have time to kind of, you know, get into that. We have seen plants give us uh, a reaction to danger, you know, it, it, the studies have shown really clearly, and forgive me for not having all that in front of me, but you can look it up. There, there's a vast amount of information on the internet um, now. But, you know, if, if there is a threat to a plant, uh, say a few plants over, there's either disease happening or insects are coming and attacking the plant or it's being cut down by humans, it will emanate a kind of chemical reaction both in the soil as well as around the plant in the air that travels to the connecting plants next to it, whether it's the same kind or not, it travels and it starts kind of a chain reaction where the other plants begin to release chemicals that support either the protection of the plant or the panic or the anxiety. So they have this emotional uh, life that a lot of us have not been taught exist until recently when these studies are coming out. And hopefully as we evolve, we'll be able to you know, integrate that kind of understanding into our education, the, you know, where people will learn that these kind of relationships exist with nature. So when Love, Breathe, Earth was discovered and founded, I decided to design it so that it would get people out into nature, settled, peaceful. And then when they invoke these feelings of love, that love chemistry that you emanate biologically from your body and your energy system, you will ignite a kind of chain reaction of the opposite of threat and harm. And that, you know, that starts a reaction of chemical interplay between the environment around you, both in the soil and the air. So you have this tremendous opportunity to sit in this space that is both, you know, scientifically, um, scientifically backed as far as the studies go. So, you know, for people who are more science oriented, that's an important piece um, you know, we have a lot available in the new age industry. We have a lot of great people doing great things, but the information tends to be overwhelming at times. And sometimes people pick and choose who they want to, you know, believe in or follow or, or read and study. And this really gives, it gives it back to the person. The person becomes accountable for their ability to love and their ability to bring up those memories and to surpass their own pain and suffering and to switch their energy field over to something powerful that has a positive effect. And then the breath being that chemical interchange, um, tunnel, bridge, whatever you want to call it, between us and the surrounding world. We were breathing in oxygen, breathing out carbon dioxide. We actually have a symbiotic type relationship with the natural world around us because they consume what we give out and they give out what we consume. So that interchangeable relationship between nature and humans is something that's going on every single day, every moment, every second, whether we're mindful of it or not. And it's when we become mindful of it, it asks us to be accountable for our emotional power and energy that we give off. And it practices that. So over time, as we become 
better at being able to get into that place and go out to nature and create that kind of uh, chemical slash energetical type relationship, we begin to see and feel the reciprocation of that life force. It's a really beautiful thing. And so what the one thing that I got when it first started to develop was that love for many people, the definition of love oftentimes sparks a lot of controversy. And when we talk about love, you know, some people say it's this and some say that and, you know, well, I don't feel that and, I, you know, this. And, and so it gets conflicting. But when you take love and make it personal and, you know, there's always a point in time when a person has not learned to hate yet or has not had that traumatic experience that shut down the love gateway or, you know, the connection. So I always tell people that this is about finding something you love, whether it's a relationship or a pet or a favorite thing to do, whatever invokes that feeling of love for you personally is what you want to focus on because those memories are inside your cells. They, they're inside your body. And when you focus on those memories, you literally, you know, after a few moments and, you know, time passes, you begin to change the chemistry, the chemistry within your body and the chemistry in your body is what the natural world responds to. Love Breathe Earth came um, we reached out to the uh, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama's office, to ask for his blessing, and we received it. We were so excited. My sister and I were the ones that started really the whole journey of Love Breathe for Earth because we had had a pilgrimage. We had reunited, and we had had a pilgrimage down to Cape Cod to you know go sit on the beach, and we meditated together for the first time, and it was amazing. And it was amazing for both of us. We really had a pivotal moment at that point where we were family, blood relatives, and here we are meditating under the night sky and connecting to the stars. And um, the next day was a solar eclipse. So we went out to a special beach and we decided to sit there and meditate. And we did. And when we were done, we got up and walked over the dune and somebody had written the word love and breathe into the sand. And we just stood there like, this is amazing. It was, it was like, you know, the sky had opened up and given us a message. So we took pictures of the words and Love Breathe for Earth came out of that story of the reuniting of the sisters and finding the messages in the sand and deciding to do something with that because we felt it was such a powerful moment. And when we designed that and put that into a context where people could gather because they were going to practice loving and then offering that to the earth through our breath, we were, in a sense, creating holy breath, like holy water. You know, we were, we were igniting the breath with powerful love elements that were being carried out into nature around us. And we really had no idea at the time what was going to happen. You know, we, we just knew that this was something we needed to do. So we got a group of people together and we made a trip down to the stone chambers in the Catskills, which I, I frequently visit. And we went to the Mother Earth chamber, which is a chamber that's you can pretty much only find it unless you know how to get there or you have a satellite uh, location to be able to find it. It's pretty off the beaten path, but it's a powerful mound in the earth. Um, and we did a ceremony there and everybody experienced a kind of communion with the forest around them that they had not experienced quite like that before. And it was really profound for all of us. And we had people, uh, there were Hillary Carter, who's the author of the 1111 Code. Uh, she just came out with a new book called The The Numbers Woman. She lives in the UK and she was joining us from the White Horse in Avebury. I believe that's in Avebury. Um, we had another group of people down at the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., 
joining hands and gathering around the largest obelisk in the world, um, we had some really amazing energies gather. Uh, Betsy Peerless, who I work with, uh, is a phenomenal astrologer. She's my co-creator with the Intuitive Matrix, which is a, a blog that we offer to give uh, astrological alignment information and current events stuff. And she was down in Montauk at Council Rock for the very first one. And so we had these extraordinary people, you know, just show up. So what I did was, you know, each person who chose to tell us where they were joining us from, we marked on a world map. We marked out all the locations on a world map to see what this would look like as far as being a grid across the planet. And it was just so humbling to see that mirrored back to us as we put that out on the map and to see how many people had actually showed up, whether it was one person or a few people or a group of people, each person counted as a powerful intention to do this for the planet. And it then turned into another aspect of personal journey for me because I decided to start painting those grids on large wall canvases. Um, so I would document the love grids that we created around the planet for the earth on each individual date that we gathered. And people really loved that idea. They loved that, you know, they were part of the paintings. They were part of the meditation. They were, they were showing up together as a group of intentional-minded people who were honoring the planet and the earth. It wasn't about anyone specific. There wasn't any product. Everybody could just show up and do it. And so we started to get these pictures and stories from people who were submitting you know, to us, we have a Facebook community that people can go on Facebook and, and sign up for. It's Love Breathe for Earth. And um, we, we post the events and stuff in our gatherings on there. And then people will come back and share their videos and their stories and their pictures. And it was amazing. Every time I read a story or looked at pictures of people all over joining in and sharing their, their experience, I personally have never felt so much you know, just a humbled gratitude for uh, how it was all coming together. It was quite fascinating. Um, after, after May 18th, we decided to do a second one, and I flew to Cairo, Egypt, to do it from inside the Great Pyramid, the King's Chamber in the Great Pyramid. And then we had people who decided where they were going to be and they went to these, you know, amazing places as well. Or, you know, even if it was a creek in the woods, it was just as amazing because this wasn't necessarily about highlighting the places where we were going, but it was because they provided a kind of energy that aided in our gathering and powered it up for the planet. So I put the call out that I was going to be in Cairo. I literally just had the call to go. I had no money to go. I had, I was like, this is crazy. I can't go to Egypt. It's June. It's got to be ridiculously hot there. Um, I had no money. I had no way of knowing how I was going to get there. So I received the lesson to ask for help. And so I did. And it was the first time that I put it out there in my platform publicly that I needed help. I need, I need help to get here. I've had this vision, this experience of bringing this, this event or, you know, this, this moment to Egypt, which I'm very connected to because I've been there a few times. And within 24 hours, the money was donated for me to go um, I got my plane ticket. It was six days later from receiving the guidance in a meditation to go. I was on a plane headed to Cairo by myself with nothing more than one guide who was promising to pick me up in the airport, who I had never met before, and a room in a hotel. And it turned into, and I had brought a canvas with me. I brought a canvas with me to go on a pilgrimage of sorts that would be um, the canvas for that grid. And I ended up having one of the most 
amazing, just speechless almost adventures. And that was the week that ISIS, ISIL came out into the world. It was the week that everybody on the rest of the planet was learning of this new terrorist organization that had popped up out of nowhere, and the Western media was calling it ISIS. And here I was walking around Cairo and going to Saqqara and going to Giza. I was staying at the Mena House, so I was very close to Giza. And so I would go up every day, or my guide and I would, you know, I would ask him, tell him basically every day, you know, let's just leave the plan blank and see what spirit guides us to do, which he was not used to at all, but he was just fascinated by this American woman showing up and saying, well, let's just see what happens. I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> we'll go from there. Um, I had put the word out that I would be there uh, in the lobby on the date of the meditation. So if anybody happened to be in Egypt and be in Cairo and they wanted to join, they could come. Well, surprisingly, two people showed up. And it was just amazing to be sitting there and have two people walk in and, and say, I'm here to go inside the pyramid with you to do the Love Breathe for Earth meditation. It was really, really just heartwarming and amazing. And so we walked up as a group and my guide was with us. And so there was the four of us and we went into the King's Chamber and everybody else, you can kind of, you could feel, you could feel almost a tangible resonance happening around the planet because we knew where some of the people were that were joining us and you could because we always do 1 p.m all time zones and the reason we do 1 p.m all time zones is that it creates a ripple effect around the world like ocean currents you know it's kind of like this ripple effect of we're doing it for the planet here at this time. It's, you know, it's the same time. It keeps it simple for people. They don't have to convert the time zones. And it, and it, it keeps a continuous motion of energy, you know, moving through the planet for the entire 24 hours. And uh, then we took a tour of the Coptic churches the next day. And my canvas went to all the Coptic the Coptic churches and touched all the pictures of the saints. And it was a, just a really beautiful moment. Um, and being in Egypt by myself and going to some of these sites, not being with a tour group, I had much more flexibility and freedom to wander. And I spent many days just wandering Giza and going to the three pyramids. Because most of the time when you go on a tour, you're, you're bust in, you go into the Great Pyramid, you leave. You don't get the time to really walk to the other two pyramids, you know. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's two other pyramids, you know. And we had this moment of being able to walk around. And he, my guide was extraordinary. Sure, just wonderful person. And he totally understood what I was doing. Very protective of my space, was very helpful with everything. And uh, I really just wanted to go and sit on the stones and meditate on the, on the different edges of the pyramids and connect and sit in the hot sun and just float into what that space is. So for me, it was this glorious moment of time where we had this world gathering, but then for the rest of the week, it was this personal pilgrimage that was so necessary and so vital. And, um, it was just, it was just a, a wonderful adventure. So when I came back from that, I had major surgery. I had had a tumor in my neck that was removed. I spent the summer, uh, recovering from that and uh, we did our third meditation. I, while I was still recovering from that, we, my sister and I got into the car and made a road trip to Louisiana because we had traced our family lineage to having land in Louisiana. And part of what my healing process was from the, the health issue I was dealing with was a generational dis-ease that had plagued a lot of people in our bloodline and when it comes to speaking your truth you know speaking speaking your truth in compassion speaking your truth in uh, whatever situation there was a long line of women especially 
who had struggled with that. And we were blessed to be able to know that because there had been a person in our family who has kept immaculate records of our genealogy and where we come from. So when I connected with him, he lives in France, he was able to give me the family history, trace our family history through the United States, and most of them came in through Louisiana. So we had to go to Louisiana because we were working on this generational healing and my sister and I were healing and the family was healing and everything was happening. I had other areas of my life that were devastatingly falling apart. Um, hindsight is always twenty twenty, but it's always it, it's always clear when you look back on something that there is a necessary destruction that has to take place for things to change, for things to grow, for things to be different. So if we're always doing the same thing and always going into the same situations and, and we're always struggling with the same lessons, if you were to just destroy all that, you would have to rebuild yourself pretty much in every way in order to be able to um, just move and continue and grow and evolve. And I was going through that destruction in that particular period of time. I had had this powerful experience in Egypt. I had this major surgery happen. Um, I, at the time my spiritual family fell apart completely. Um, there was major, major change going on. The projects that I had worked on for years, for almost a decade, um, there was some integrity issues with what was happening. They were uncovered. And I had to make a choice to leave a situation. And when I made when I made the choice to leave that situation, it was like everything that was tied together into that energetically also left. At the time, it was devastating. It was hard. It was challenging. It was gut-wrenching. Um, it was really, really difficult. Plus, my body was healing from a, ma a major event. And the drive down to New Orleans with my sister was the first time we had ever done a road trip of sorts. And it was like the two of us just got in a car and drove. And as we got deeper and deeper into the South and it got, and this is August, so you can't go in any hotter time. It got hotter and hotter and hotter. And it was like, you were just, you just had to keep shedding clothes and shedding skin and, you know, you're sweating all over the place. And it was like, it was like a massive detox for us. So we found our family's land um, they had had this incredible story of being multiple plantation owners in Natchitoches. And Natchitoches is near where poverty, well, I, it's where poverty point was where I was focused on going. But Natchitoches is where we had our actual family land. So we made a trip to Natchitoches to find where our family land was. And they had built a church on it. There was a church that had been built on it. And um, we just thought that was great. We, we were tickled pink by that. And so we did some ceremony on the land and, uh, you know, we did, we honored our relatives, our ancestors. And, and it made me really realize that that is in itself something that the majority of us do not do. When we talk to the Native Americans, I, I've worked with Native American teachers for a decade, and it's it's all about their ancestors. It's all about, you know, working with the healing and the power of their ancestors and pulling them in and honoring them and calling them and bringing them into ceremony. How often do we do that in a typical Western world? How many people really know their ancestors and where their, their ancestry comes from? I mean, when it all boils down to it, we're all coming from the same source. We're all related somehow. I'm pretty convinced of that. But our individual stories are pretty profound. So we went down to there. We had our third meditation from the swamps of uh, Louisiana. And the reason we chose the swamps was because the swamps have the largest most inter most intricate communication system in the plant world. The fungi that grows, um, the fungi is, they've discovered too, that fungi is part of what contributes to the communication between plants. 
And there's the there's a, a tremendous abundance of that in the swamps. So we went into the swamps and we did our love breathe for earth meditation from there. And it was phenomenal. It was just amazing. And then we went to the mounds and we did honoring for our, you know, the whole pilgrimage. And my friend Stacy LaFleur was with us. And it was just this beautiful combination of energies that we were able to honor and connect into. Um, I mean, it really goes on. I mean, it could keep talking for the whole hour about the whole story. <laughs> but it, and then we ended up going, the fourth one was at the 9-11 Memorial in New York City on the second blood moon eclipse on October 8th. The night before that, I had spent the night in Nikola Tesla's room at the Hotel New Yorker. Yeah, and I had started... I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you about that separately, but yeah, that, was that related to the love brief for Earth? Well, it was related to the love brief for Earth for me personally. Um, we actually did the meditation globally anchored at the 9-11 memorial. So the okay. night before I had everything in Tesla's room and the water sample was in Tesla's room and, you know, it was wrapped the way it was supposed to be wrapped. But it, it was all, we were all there. It was like, this was something I had been called to do for years and years and years. And every time I made the reservation, I kept, I, something would come up. I had to cancel it. It just never was the right time. But this worked. And I could write a whole book just on that one night in Nikola Tesla's room. It's just phenomenal. The amount of, uh, uh, psychic impressions in that room that were just like, mind blowing. Um, but we did send, you know, the water sample from the 9 11 meditation the following day was sent to Japan. It was sent to Dr. Masaro Emoto's laboratories to have the water crystal photographed. And um, this was a big deal because nobody had done that for the 9 11 memorial. We took our own water sample. Um, and it was prepared in the way that they had explained to us to prepare it. And if you are interested in more information, you can go and you can search out hidden messages in water. You can Google Masaro Emoto, and there's plenty of information on there and some photograph examples of how the water vibrates to different uh, energy vibrations and how that affects the crystalline structure of the water, um, you know, they have water samples from major cities and how that water is affected from the vibration from major cities, um, heavy metal music versus classical music. It's pretty fast. It's very fascinating. We were one of the last experiments to be done before Masaru Emoto died. And now his son has taken over that. So, that, I mean, it, it's kind of just keeps going. It's like it, it was this thing that swept us up. You know, we go from having the meditation together on the beach as sisters to finding a message in the sand to creating this global meditation. It takes off. And then we find ourselves aligned with these incredible people and energies. And it's just kind of swept us up. And so there's more to it, but that I, I think I need to stop there. So <laughs> I don't just dominate the show and talk without any questions. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. I mean, we didn't want to break your flow. You're on a, you know, going pretty good there. And it, it's just amazing. I was kind of taking notes on the side there. And I wanted to point out that in the beginning, you were talking about the plant experiments. Yeah. Uh, if somebody wants to research more or read up on the research that's been done, they can look up uh, Cleve Baxter. Um, I believe it was back in the mm -hmm. 60s where he actually hooked up plants to uh, it was like a polygraph the lie detector test and uh yeah it's like the, the plants would kind of like scream when something else was happening to another plant in in the same room and it, it it that that whole connection with nature is is pretty amazing and uh also with dr emoto i i, I found uh I first saw him in uh, What the Bleep, and you, we kind of brought that up before the show, that uh, there's actually a lot of pictures of his water samples uh, in the film. And it, it's just pretty amazing, you know, what your thoughts and, you know, the intention and the meditation can do to just a simple water molecule. I, I, just, I just find that fascinating. And um, also I wanted to bring up, too, uh, ISIS. I just quickly Googled that, and I had heard about this. Uh, it was probably from your Facebook page, actually, that uh, ISIS, 
well before the news took it over, it used to stand for, it used to be the goddess of love and magic. Well, it, it still is. It still is. It's just, it's, a, it's like a meme that has, it's a militarized meme. And when I literally was driving to the grocery store the other day and someone had a bumper sticker on their car that had like a gun pointing at the word ISIS and, and some obnoxious comment underneath it. And I'm thinking, you know, from an unconscious perspective, what we're really doing is we're taking a, a symbolic gesture of the divine feminine energy in the world of that goddess energy of that mother creative energy and we're making it something that we all you know that we're we're being told to hate and why the western world is taking isis and making that the main focus when in fact the organization is isil i s c l uh, and the rest of the world calls it isil and why the Western world calls it ISIS uh, is a really big question. And, and I'd, I'd love to know the answer to that. Like, who who started that? Who was the, the mind behind that? Where did that come from? Because what it's doing is it's subconsciously programming, like a predictive programming type thing, for people to see the word ISIS and associate that with terrorism, murder, et cetera, instead of love and joy and healing and wholeness and being part of creation. So it's extremely symbolic. It's kind of like um, when the Nazis took the uh, symbol of the swastika back in World War II, they, uh, well, before World War II, the swastika used to mean like well-being um, or good luck kind of uh, symbol. Uh, I should probably Google that more, but it had a, it had a whole different meaning before the Nazis took over it, and you know it just becomes this negative imagery in history now. Well, it's uh, interesting because I know what you're talking about, and the swastika was the symbol symbol for creation. It was the symbol for like the actual force of creation, and it rotated in the opposite direction than what the Nazis uh, portrayed it as. So okay. when we look at the swastika and we see it as a symbol, we associate it with the Nazis. We associate it with, uh, you know, the, the, the camps and the brutalization and all of that. And the, the sorrow, the sorrow and the grief, and it's a collective wound. And I believe that that was done intentionally. It was also done esoterically. It was like a master magician's way of saying, well, this is creation, but we're going to go against creation and create our own meme that goes out for eternity. Now think about how long ago that was and how we still, even if we were not alive during that period of time, we are completely connected into the energy that that created. It was like a master magician took that, created it, put it into use. And, you know, I'm just kind of waiting for ISIS to become a symbol too. I mean, if they put a symbol out with that besides just the letters, it would it would have the same effect, and nine eleven had the same effect, and events like Sandy Hook Elementary in Newtown had that effect because these are all emotional major triggers for our psyche as a collective that we have to come up with a way to acknowledge the healing that needs to take plate take place on a collective level not just creating a memorial or a place for people to go and mourn or to sit there i mean if you haven't been to the 911 memorial yet uh you need to go but when you do go, you'll realize that what's memorialized really is not only the death of the people who died in that event, but what's memorialized is the official story. And we all know that 9-11 is just littered with different conspiracy theories and alternative theories that really show and shed some, some you know, some decent light on the fact that that was a fabricated event, and that's pretty well known through you know the world now, but we still don't have confirmation of that. What we what we have is the majority of people on the planet checking into that emotionally, 
pouring that emotional energy into it. Remember, with same with the plants, we create a chemistry in our body that emanates out. And when I walk through the 9-11 memorial, I feel like that's being gathered into the water of the fountains. And then what it does is it goes underground through the museum that has memorialized the pain. Right. Yeah. So we need to change that. We need to we need to say, okay, what what can we do to memorialize the lesson? What can we do to memorialize, you know, the the healing, the facilitation and healing of that, making the entire site into um, you know, this in concrete, here's what happened. They have a room down there in the museum that literally plays, I think like thousands of hours of testimony from people who were uh, either lost family members in it, uh, the stories of each person, and it just loops. And when you sit in there, you're just sitting in the loop of the victimization, the story. And some of them has have, you know, healing stories and stuff like that. But we have to remember that we walk out of there, you know, kind of in that space. And so that's kind of, you know, that's one of my things I've been focusing on too, is how do we move that into a, a collective healing so that we can move on and not be so stuck in that time space of that event. Now, have you gotten any of the results back from the samples that you sent to Japan? Well, interestingly enough, yes, we did have the 9-11 crystal photograph returned to us in October, and it was quite interesting to see. In fact, I have that on my Facebook page. It will be published in in my new book coming out. Um, I've talked about it briefly on my blog, The Yin Factor, that's Y-I-N Factor, Um, in some posts, but I haven't actually published anything officially big because I'm waiting to put it into the book. Um, but we did a second water sample recently. We, my sister and I made a a trip, a pilgrimage to Newtown, Connecticut. We went to the demolition site of where Sandy Hook elementary used to be. We also went to Adam Lanza's house. It's now demolished and it's an empty site. And we collected the creek water that is on the land by where the school was. And we wanted to to photograph the crystalline structure of that water naturally without any prayer work, without uh, any intentional um, energetic and emotional work to the water. We just collected it as is, shipped it off to Japan. Uh, They just received it. So they're starting the 10-day experiment now where they photograph the crystals over 10 days. They send that back to me and we take a look at the different images. Um, And what we're going to – what we're trying to show is – is the, is is the land and all the prayers and all the angels and all that love work that we do for events like this that are tragic work without having to put anything into it like you know without having to do anything extraordinary over the course of time how does the land heal how does nature heal with the traumatic energy that's happened. There was a tremendous amount of tragedy that happened in Sandy Hook. And I was uh, talking about it very uh, in depth at the time. It happened at the end of 2012, beginning of, you know, everybody was really soaked in that through Christmas and the winter solstice. You know, we had all this great talk about the winter solstice energies of 2012 and, you know, books and all kinds of things had come out and everybody was all up in arms about 2012, the winter solstice, this big moment in time that the Mayans had marked in their calendar, um, this end of cyclic time. And then we had this huge public event that happened. I call the mega ritual that had happened and you have 20 children who were killed and you had Adam was killed his mother was killed there was a tremendous amount of uh, hateful destructive energy that was produced there and then you had the whole conspiracy theories that were born of it and anytime somebody sends their thought energy into something like that 
whether it's, you know, pro-conspiracy or not, you know, you're sending this kind of energy to the land telepathically. You know, when we finally start to say that we affect the natural world around us, that our intentions and our emotional energies we need to be accountable for because otherwise we just send out whatever we send out towards people, towards events, and it has an effect. Just like prayer has an effect, hate has an effect, uh, anger has an effect. Any kind of emotion that disturbs the plants, scream, you know, the plants are screaming because another plant is getting hurt in the room. Well, humans need to do that too. If another human is being hurt in the room, you need to scream and put up your defenses and protect that because it's a living breathing happened. It's been traumatic for people. Nothing's more traumatic than the death of a child. And when you have 20 that are tragically killed in the way that they were, um, or, you know, and some people say, well, it didn't really happen. It was all this. I don't, I, I, I will not get into that. And I will not discuss that because for me, that's a, just a waste of my energy to go in and try to speculate. I was not there personally. I did not see it firsthand. But I have been to the site and I can tell you what it feels like from that perspective. And when we got there to, to do this, uh, it felt clear. It felt clean. It felt like the angels and all the love work and prayer work from around the world had had an effect on the natural world. It felt like fairy-like. It felt like the childlike magical innocence was restored. Um, the site of the actual school that had been taken down was just this big open field and I walked right out to the middle of it. And I, you know, put my hands on the ground and I just did what I do for Love Breathe Earth. I thought about the things inside of me that create that feeling of love. And I breathed that into the center of the demolition site because I felt like that was the appropriate thing to do. That was like the, the grand gesture offering that I could give to the pain and suffering of what had happened here. My sister wasn't able to walk on the land. She, you know, she just was not ready for that. So she did her work from the edge of the field. But when we went into the creek and we went into the area where the water was, again, you know, they had found an icon, an idol of sorts in uh, the woods. They had found this uh, being. It was like a, a doll of sorts, which is now housed in Lorraine Warren's occult museum as the Sandy Hook doll, demon doll, or whatever they call it at this point. So, I mean, there was just all of this stuff that was circulating around. And, and I got to the point when I was researching it back in 2012 that I just stopped. I stopped talking about it. I was looking into this the, to the stuff with another person. They couldn't handle the research anymore. They backed out of it. Um, so it became kind of like this thing where I was afraid of the energy of Newtown. I, I had gotten to a point where I had uncovered a lot of things just by being a researcher into the event. And I was ready to just be like, no way. People would bring the subject up, whether in interviews or, you know, working with me or on social media, and, and I wouldn't talk about it. I would just be like, I'm not talking about it. So for me to walk into the middle of it years later and stand there and stand in the middle of it, it was really, for me personally, it was like confronting my own demons, confronting my own, you know, this dark energy and, and being able to say, well, it's like the boogeyman theory, you know, it's, it's, it's there and it exists as long as your mind believes it does. But the minute you walk into your closet and turn the light on, it's all gone. And that's right. really what happened for me. So the so there was a personal journey in there, and there was a larger agenda as far as you know going and 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 uh, getting the water sample and sending it off to Japan. And Hiro 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 Emoto uh, is Masaru's son. He remembered the story, and he was quite taken with the fact that we were sending him this sample. So he personally wanted to work on the experiment to see if we would be able to find out what that looks like. So we don't have a picture of that, but we will have that hopefully in a few weeks after they finish that. 
And uh, I'm excited to see what that looks like, because if we get a really clear crystal photograph, then for me, it would confirm what I felt in that space before, you know, collecting the water sample. I felt a completion of, of healing. I felt like that land itself had done the moving out of the energy. If it comes back looking like it's discombobulated and it's really not doesn't form well, which in his work is a, is a sign of the vibrational energies not quite in sync with that full form, um, we're going to take the rest of the water that I have and we're going to do a, a water blessing for the one-year anniversary of Love Breathe for Earth down in Montauk at Council Rock. We're going to do a huge global meditation and we're going to pour that love into the water And we're going to keep a sample of that to send back to Japan to do a before-after picture. And we're going to pour the Praedon water from Newtown into the end of Montauk where the three currents uh, converge in the ocean. And we're going to give it to the ocean to heal. And uh, Montauk, what was the date of that again? Uh, May 18th. So yes, if you guys want to come, that would be great. Actually, the show will be airing on May 18th. (laughs) Oh, really? Well, isn't that great? So you'll but, be listening to this as we're all down there doing that. Do you have any um, future locations or dates? Uh, we, I'm going to France on June 2nd. I will be doing my first artist residency in France. I'll be living in a castle for three three weeks. And I'm going with my friend Stacy Lafleur, who is this phenomenal artist. And her and I will be working on a collaborative piece while CERN clashes their particles a few hundred miles from us and we have decided we haven't quite figured it out yet because the way this works for us is that the less we plan the more we see divinely coordinated we have like a rough sketch of okay well we're going to France and we're going to coordinate uh, a, a love breathe for earth global meditation while we're there and we just haven't quite gotten the um details down yet because we're still walking into the energy of the may 18th full circle return yeah we'll, we'll have to have you back on you know in the future after you've had a few more you know events that you can you know tell us you know catch us up on that would be interesting to see how they're yeah. going and um also do you have a date when you think your book might be coming out because i'd like to well, I was, yeah, and I, I was, I was planning to release it this spring, but it, the story just kept continuing. It's like, it's not, I'm not done yet. I kept getting that message. I'm not, it's not done yet. Um, so what I'm doing is I have written a large part of it and now I'm just keeping documentation, keeping notes of the story of how this progresses. And until I really get, uh, okay, it's ready to present um, I'm just going to keep writing it. So maybe that just means it's going to be a thick book. Um, I, I have learned that over this past year, what one of the main lessons I've been taught is to not overthink things or overplan, which is really bad for putting a book together because you really need to have that in a lot of forms in order to make it a form. You know, it's great to have the idea, but to publish it and put it into form is a whole different, <laughs> it takes a much logical, much more logical mind. Um, I would think that after France, um, I don't have anything else happening except going to Mount Shasta in September for the final blood moon uh, lunar eclipse that's happening for this past two-year cycle. And I feel that the story is carrying itself through this two-year cycle because we have this series of four blood moon lunar eclipses that started on April 15th of 2014, then went to uh, October 8th, 2014, then happened on April 4th, 2014. And that's when we collected the Newtown water on April 4th, April 3rd, April 4th. And now the last one in that series happens in September. And we're going to be on Mount Shasta to watch that. And we have my my co-host, my co-creatrix, Melissa, um, she's coming with me and she has uh, written this beautiful oracle deck. And we're, we've created a wonderful four-day event that's symbolic of going through the four gateways of the blood moons. And they happen to fall all 
on biblical holidays. Now, the last time this happened where you had a series, a triad of solar eclipses in a cycle happening on direct biblical holidays, it has been centuries since that has happened. And it has happened before, but it's been a very long time. And it's a, a prophecy of sorts within the Muslim tradition that, you know, the grand empire, the grand Roman empire is going to fall. And of course they see us as the grand empire and the, they see us falling. So we've had a lot of turbulence within the current world of Muslims and Christians and ISIS and all that stuff, because they really, they follow that and they believe in the power of that prophecy that they're being aligned with by their God to support the destruction of what no longer serves humanity as a whole. And they do see us as that. And I think what, you know, there's a whole thing I could go into about that. But the next big thing that we have going on is this gathering for the final blood moon. The Pope is coming to America through the final blood moon. He will be in Philadelphia doing, uh, you know, what he does, which is interestingly enough, the original capital of the United States. So the Pope is coming to the United States, to the original capital of the United States, to do ceremony during the final blood moon eclipse. I, I think that's just mind-blowing. And um, But anyway, I believe after that date, I will have completed that two-year cycle because I did set up, my birthday is April 15th. So in my birthday for last year, I was in the Garden of the Gods in ceremony um, in Colorado. And it, I got the message, where is your sister? And because I got that message, where is your sister? I reunited with my sister and we created all of what has happened this past year. So my sister and I are going to Mount Shasta. That, for me, I believe will mark the ending. Uh, of course, nothing, you know, everything has a continuation in some way. But I believe because I set out the intention to honor this two-year cycle that the story, the book is all being created within that two-year cycle. So it's really interesting how everything has really just come together and moved forward. So I think the ending of the book will probably happen after that happens. But I don't, you know. But yeah, no, I found it, you know, very interesting, the story of how you got started and with Cape Cod, I have connections with Cape Cod and, uh, yeah, it's just, just a great way to connect with nature and, and turn some of these, you know, tragic events that's happened in history to figuring out a way to heal from them in a way, even though we're not always directly connected to them. But yeah, no, I think what you're doing is great, though, and um, we'll definitely have to have you back on in the future to catch us up and see where you've been going and, you know, your book and your paintings. Yeah, it's been, it's it's an exciting, I've been on this exciting adventure. It feels like it's an adventure, you know. There's days when I sit here and I just do mundane things, you know. I'm just like everybody else. I go grocery shopping and make dinner and pay my bills and <laughs> yeah. uh, I have a family. And so, you know, it, it's it's there, but it's like those moments of the ordinary special help to facilitate the extraordinary special. And when the extraordinary special comes in, it's it's like a download of information. It's like a clarity that happens where it just opens up the psyche and you can see something. And then it's just a matter of what you do with that. And for me, prior to this, as you know, I was working as a Reiki healer. I was working as a you know as a psychic. I was out there publicly as an intuitive and and, and being involved in different projects and going from thing to thing to thing. And that was great and it served a great purpose. I was a radio show host for 10 years. I loved that project. I loved my show. I loved my producers. I loved my guests. I loved doing the show, but I could tell that wrapping it up and completing that and having a beautiful celebratory closure to that and owning that was part of that kind of destructive element that has to come in. And we think destructive, we're like, oh, that's so harsh, but it's not. It's like what, what puts the compost into the soil. You know, you have to break these things down. So I ended the show in January of this year 
and I had a celebration, you know, I, I started to put all the shows into my YouTube channel so that they're a meme. There's a decade of meme information with a variety of different people that's available, you know, pretty much forever now that I can always reference back to. And I felt such a weight kind of lift off me because sometimes we outgrow things and we have to learn how to let those things go in a way that facilitates a positive continuance on into something else. And that's pretty much what's happened. Yeah, I remember uh, listening to some of the show and uh, you had a really wide range of guests over the years and they're very interesting. And I encourage everybody to go check out the YouTube page where you're kind of building an archive of all that, like you said. And I think uh, Achieve Radio still has a lot of the sound files still available on their website. Yeah, Achieve will have those up. Uh, I told them we were build- we are building an archive. And I, I told uh, my producer that we were building an archive. And for about eight years, I was the number one show on that network. And the wide variety came from the wide variety of my research interest. And what was great is that nobody picked and chose my guests for me. I just... Uh, reached out in whatever area, whatever area I was studying or researching or my interests were, and I would find someone, oh, I want to talk to them. And, you know, nine times out of 10, they would come on the air. And it was like, who else can, you know, how, how great is this that I get to sit down once a week and talk to these incredible people about their stories and what they do and share that with my audience. And it was like having a weekly hour conversation with for myself too, it was, it was very enlightening. I learned a lot. I appreciated that tremendously. That was one, and you guys know that because you do it. You do it too. Yeah. <laughs> well, we ju- we're just getting started with this. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but it's been a lot of fun. We've, I, I would say, we probably feel the same way. Yeah, and then after you've been on the air for a decade, you, you're going to have a nice arca- archive too. So I'm so proud of both of you for starting this. This is a powerful intention. Thank you. And um, just to let our listeners know, what's the best way to get a hold of you or where should they go, um, you know, with this uh, project that you have going on with the Facebook page, your Facebook page, where are you most interactive for people to find you? Well, I interact a lot on my Facebook page, the Hillary Ramo Facebook page. I'm on there often. My blog, uh, The Yin Factor, is where I put out some of my poems and my stories and my, you know, musings. Um, the love breathe for earth community page on Facebook, please go there and like it. That's where you're going to find all of our announcements, all of the things that we have going on. You can read other people's stories. We do have a blog website for love breathe for earth that, um, we're maintaining and we're, we're catching up with the story because I'm doing that myself. I I update that myself. I, I don't have, you know, a team of people doing all this for me. And because I'm also the person who's in the middle of having the experience that gets neglected a little bit. So I have to be better at putting that on there. Um, but that's all on the community page. You can find the links for that. You can go to my website, hillaryramo.com. That's the best place to contact me um, because there's a contact page on the website and I, I will get those. And, you know, if you want to have a session, I still do phone sessions with people. I interact. I prefer the interaction of one-on-one. I think there's more that can be revealed and accomplished in that one-on-one. But I work in groups. I can come speak at your event or your conference or your teleconference or whatever. Um, that That's pretty much the only ways that you know, that's how that happens. All right. Great. And, uh, also on your website, you still do the newsletter, correct? I see. That. I do. Yeah. Okay. So you can sign up for my newsletter. It's a periodic newsletter. It comes out, uh, every now and then it's not going to flood your inbox with a bunch of annoying things. It comes out, you know, maybe once a month, a couple times a month. It just lets you know what's going on. All right. Great. Well, thanks again for coming on the show and, uh, we'll be, for, be sure to check back with you, you know, in the future after you've had some more travels and adventures well i have to warn you if if we go to france and cern opens up multiple uh dimensions like they're trying to do being that we are going to be only a few hundred miles away from them i promise to give you the exclusive what's happening <laughs> okay and cern can we could probably talk about that for hours 
Uh-huh. Sure. So if you want to do another show on that, especially after I get back, I, I, I've been watching that story very closely. So if you're interested in that and you're listening to this and it's something that you want to know more about, you, the best place for that is on my Facebook page. Right. I post stuff and I keep it public. So, you know, if you're not friends with me or because I pretty much reached my limit, but I, so everybody can interact. If you'd like more information about our films or to purchase our DVDs, you can head on over to our website at thepastseries.com. They're also available to purchase on amazon.com. Our films are also streaming online at vimeo.com, guyamtv.com, and iTunes. If you have a show suggestion or would like us to interview someone specifically, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at thepastseries.com or send us a tweet at thepastseries. Please rate and review us in iTunes and subscribe. We hope you enjoyed the show.